Uh, take your Bible this morning. Matthew chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Uh, we are second week in in our series called The King is Coming. This is our Christmas series, and we're looking at uh, the birth and early childhood of Jesus Christ. We're looking at the account found in the book of Matthew, and uh, you find Christ's birth found in Matthew. You find it in the book of Luke. Luke uh, really focuses on Christ's humanity uh, as the Son of Man. Matthew's account of the gospel portrays Christ as the King of the Jews. And, uh, and so really, we wanted this year to, to focus our Christmas series on Christ the King. Uh, and, and we're going to learn some cool things this morning. And so without further ado, I want to get right into the text. We're going to read verses 1 to 11. It's, in the, it's on the screen uh, if you'd like to follow along or certainly in your Bible. And uh, let's read this portion of Scripture and then we'll break it down and, and have what the Lord has for us. I think we need to eat spiritually this morning before we eat physically. Amen. I think God has some good things for us. Let's pray and get into it. Father, we thank you for the word, and we thank you for the, the privilege again of just coming and worshiping, and we thank you for, uh, Lord, just giving us a, 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 an accurate copy of what we need in your word for our life today. And uh, Lord, as we celebrate uh, the birth of the King, and as we really just take a moment and, and consider what that means in my life personally, I pray that you'd speak to us through your word and through your Holy Spirit. God, we give you the time. We give you uh, our attention, Lord. We, we, we ask that your Holy Spirit reveals truth as only he can. And then, Lord, I, I pray, just as was already prayed, uh, that whatever you have for us personally and then whatever you have for us corporately as a church, the answer is already yes. It's yes, Lord. We want to serve you. We want to please you. And uh, we want to honor you. And so, Lord, be with us today. Help us to understand your word. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 says this, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that's born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered, together, gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, art, now, art not thou the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently, what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. And when they had heard the king, and they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Now when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And we just mentioned last week, and it's worth mentioning again, this account of Christ's birth and early childhood is a little different than Luke's account. Luke's account, we find the babe in the manger. And the first people to visit Christ, the babe in the manger, are the shepherds in the field. But now the Bible tells us that, that these wise men and the whole story this morning, uh, they're going to find this young child, not a babe, but now a young child, and they're going to find him not in a manger, but actually in a house. And so we know that Christ is a little bit older. We don't know how much older, probably two years or, or, or younger 
as we'll get into next week's message and you'll see that. But, but I just want you to, to see that there is a little bit of difference in this account and Luke's account of the gospel. And so this morning, uh, we're going to study these wise men and Herod and, and what all this means for us practically uh, today. It is interesting that uh, many times our nativity, nativity scenes get it wrong. You know, they have these wise men showing up at the manger, and, and certainly there were shepherds at the manger. Uh, but these wise men, and, and it doesn't tell us how many there were, by the way. We know that there were three gifts offered, but it never tells us there were three wise men. And these wise men actually showed up at a house, and the Bible says that when they saw this young child, as a matter of fact, if you take the time in Matthew chapter 2 and, and just go through and underline the word, words young child, you never find the word babe mentioned. Christ is always a young child in this account in Matthew's gospel. And so it is a little different. Again, a little. sometimes we have trouble with, with what the Bible says versus our tradition. And we want, we want God's word to be true. And I'm not telling you to trash your nativity scene. That's not what I'm saying. You have to go home and deflate it. All these wise men were Look, I'm not telling you that. I'm just saying, hey, it is, it is interesting. Uh, some time has passed between the babe and the manger till now. And, and these wise men have come from the east and so we're going to talk about these wise men for a few minutes. And the first point in your notes is this. We want to pay special attention to the wise men's direction. The wise men's direction. Because the Bible tells us that they traveled from the east to the west. They came from the east to Jerusalem, it says in verse 1. Now, these wise men, they were Gentiles. They were not Jewish. They were, they were magi, probably oriental uh, astrologers who studied the sciences, who studied the stars. Uh, they sought to understand the times and the seasons. Uh, I, I want you to understand that these wise men were probably very intellectual, very learned uh, in their day. They were probably scholars of the sciences uh, of their day and of their time. Uh, we find wise men all through the Bible. Uh, Pharaoh, for instance, in the book of Genesis, uh, had wise men under him. He had magicians, he had sorcerers, he had wise men. Uh, when we study Daniel uh, and his time in captivity in Babylon, uh, during Nebuchadnezzar's reign, there were wise men that were a part of, of that court. Actually, some of those Jewish uh, captives were considered wise men. Daniel and his friends, uh, Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, they were all considered wise men. They were learned uh, in the sciences and in astrology. And uh, Daniel actually uh, was the one that gave Nebuchadnezzar his dream and the interpretation of the dream. If you remember the story in the book of Daniel, kind of just a side note, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he came to all of his wise men and his sorcerers and astrologers and magicians. And he said, I had a dream, but I forgot it. So you tell me the dream and then you tell me the, what, what that really means for me. And they were like, have you lost your mind? Like, tell us the dream and we'll tell you what it means. And he was like, no, 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 you don't understand. You, I forgot. I forgot the dream. You tell me what the dream is or I'm going to kill all of you. Ugh. Well, that kind of escalated it rather quickly. And, and so word got out that, hey, we need, the we need the dream and the interpretation. And Daniel said, well, only God can give that. And, and God did give it and, it. and it proved that Daniel and those Jewish boys uh, certainly were wise men amongst uh, the Babylonians. Uh, again, there's no definitive number of these wise men mentioned in Matthew chapter 2, uh, probably more than three. They do find this young child uh, in the house. And what's interesting is God just wants you to know that they came from the east. He just wants you to know they came from the east. Every word of God is pure. God gives us every single word in scripture for a reason. 
Every word of God is pure, according to Proverbs 30 and verses 5 and 6. And so God wants you to know that the way to find him and his presence is a specific direction. And these men are traveling from the east, which means they would have been traveling from east to west to find the king of the Jews. Now, when you run this through the scriptures, you find some very interesting things. As a matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, everybody remember that story? Everybody remember Genesis when, when, when Adam sinned against God and rebelled against God? When God dealt out the, the punishment for the curse of sin, the Bible says that God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground whence he was, from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree, the tree of life. See, these men, these wise men are traveling east to west, but God sent Adam out of the garden the opposite direction, away from God's presence because of sin, because of the curse. In Genesis chapter 4 and verse 16, when Cain experienced his discipline and his punishment for killing his brother, the Bible says that Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and he dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. He's moving west to east instead of east to west. And some of you are looking at me like, what are you talking about? Because you don't read maps. And that's okay. You have Google for that. But in the Bible, God really is concerned with direction. As a matter of fact, this earth rotates on an axis, and it rotates in a direction from west to east, not east to west. You say, why does that matter? Because just like Adam, and just like Cain, and just like this planet... There is a direction that is opposed and opposite the things of God. That moves us certainly away from the presence of God and the things of God. And there is a direction that brings us closer to and, and to the presence of God and the things of God. And again, this is an interesting thing, and, and it's not the whole point of the message this morning. But I just want you to know that these wise men are following a direction that brings them closer to the king. And listen, if you study the Bible, you realize that biblical movement is always east to west. Generally, everything in the Bible that moves from the east to the west is a positive move. And so, go west, young man, type thing, all right? And listen, when you went into the tabernacle, the movement of the Holy of Holies is from east to the west. When Jesus Christ made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, it was from the east to the west. Why does that matter? Well, it matters because these wise men are seeking to be in the presence of the king. And, and in order to do so, they had to travel a specific direction. So, so here's, the, here's the practical point of the preaching for this first point. Look, here's the key. There is always a specific direction that takes you and I to the presence of God. There's always a way that takes us to the presence of God. There's a right way to find the Lord. There's a right way to come into His presence. There's a right way that will bring us into right fellowship and worship with Him. But friends, listen, there is always a direction that will take you away from the presence of God. There's always things that will move you opposite of the things of God and opposite of the presence of God. And instead of getting closer to the King, it will take you further away. And the practical question is, look, which direction 
is our life headed? Which direction is our life headed? Would, would you say of your life this morning, you know what, like these wise men, I'm taking one step at a time closer and closer to the presence of the Lord. I'm taking one step at a time closer and closer to worship the Lord and to be in His presence and to give Him all the glory He's due because He is the King. Or would you say that my life is headed in a direction away from the presence of God and contrary to the things of God and instead of moving in a direction that brings me to the foot of Jesus Christ, it's moving further and further away from Christ. And listen, if that's you, the encouragement today is all you have to do is turn around. If you're going a direction that's moving you away from the person and the presence of the king, all you have to do is turn. You know what the Bible calls that? The Bible calls that repentance. It's just a 180 degree turn. Listen, which direction your life is pointed and headed matters because the goal is to be in the presence of the king. That's the goal. And so listen, these wise men, they're, they're, the first thing we can learn from them is that they're headed in a right direction. Number two, we can learn from these wise men, they have a very specific desire. Look at it in verse two. The Bible says, here's what they said. They, they said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and we are come to worship him. And so the second point is this, these wise men had a desire and their desire was to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Their direction was a result of their desire. Amen? And, and ours is too. Where we're headed is really what we're trying to get to. And if we want to get closer to Christ, listen, there's a specific way, there's a specific direction, there's a way that will bring us closer to Him. And listen, if our desire is to not be near Him, not hear His word, not worship at His feet, not present Him what He's worthy of, well, there is a way that will lead us away from him. And it all begins with our desire. They had a desire, and it was a singular desire. Listen, we want to find him because we want to come worship him. We just want to worship him. Uh, you know, if you're a student of the Bible, this should, this should kind of ring a bell to you because this is the very first question that's asked in the New Testament. And, and, and it is interesting the very first question that's asked in the entire New Testament, of course, Matthew's the first book in the New Testament, so it would make sense that this is where it's found. But the question is, where is he that's born king of the Jews? The first question is, is a search, not for a babe, but for a king. For a king. By the way, the first question in the Old Testament, if you just want to compare Scripture with Scripture, is found in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 9. And God said unto Adam, and he said unto him, where art thou? And, and you know there's a principle of Bible study, you know, a principle of first mention, and I'll just make up a principle, the principle of first question, if you will. Uh, it is interesting what you can learn from questions in the Bible, especially the first questions. In the Old Testament, that first question, God is seeking Adam. In the Old Testament, God is seeking out a man who has fallen in his sin. And the first question that God records for us in his Bible in the Old Testament is, where art thou? And God's asking the same question to lost man today. Because the Lord's seeking him. The Lord wants to restore him. The Lord wants to redeem him. The Lord wants to save him from his sin. Aren't you thankful that God does that? Aren't you thankful that God didn't leave Adam in his sinful, broken condition? I mean, Adam and Eve are hiding amongst the trees of the garden. 
Aren't you thankful for a God that pursues a fallen creation? This man right here is thankful for that. I'm thankful that God didn't leave me to my own devices, but he sought me out to redeem me and to forgive me and to cleanse me. Listen, that's the first question in the Bible. God is seeking out a man who has fallen in his sin. And now in the New Testament, we see that men are seeking out Christ to worship him. He, men are seeking out Christ the King to worship him. And, and let me just tell you, listen, that's the natural response. Because when God seeks you out, and he has, and when you respond to his grace and mercy and forgiveness through the gospel of Jesus Christ, when God seeks you out and you respond to his goodness and his grace, well, by default, you want to seek him out because you understand what he's done for you. You understand that he saved you from your sin. And listen, these men, these wise men are a great picture of, of us. They're desiring to seek the one who is worthy of worship. They're desiring to seek the one who sought them. And, and God help all of us to have that desire. The Bible says that we've seen his star in verse 2 in the east. And we've come to worship him. And so, and so these wise men are following a star that's leading them to the person of Jesus Christ. Now, Numbers 24 and verse 17 is a prophecy that said this is going to happen, that there will be a star out of Jacob. And let me just read it for you. Numbers 24 and verse 17. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a, a star. Out of where? Out of Jacob, out of the nation of Israel. And a scepter shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth. Listen, this star was prophesied. Number two, this star is associated with a scepter. This star is associated with a scepter. This scepter is significant because it, it demonstrates a kingdom. You see, a king needs a scepter, not a babe. A king needs a scepter because he's the king of a kingdom. Psalm 45 and verse 6 says this, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. And, and I, I challenged us last week, you know, when we look at this story of, of Christ coming, the first advent, the first coming of Christ, for many of us it's difficult to differentiate between the babe in the manger and the rightful king. And we're more comfortable with the, with the former. We're more comfortable with a babe in swaddling clothes than a king with a vesture dipped in blood. We're more comfortable with a babe in a manger than with a king with a scepter, with righteous rule and righteous reign. But friends, he's both. He's both. You can't, you can't separate him. You can't, you can't differentiate between the two. They are one and the same. And I just want to make the point that this star, this star that these wise men are following it was prophesied, but it has everything to do with, with the significance of a scepter. The question they asked is, hey, where's the king? Where's the king? We've seen his star. We're looking for the king. And, and by the way, that king at that point was a young child. Now, uh, we'll pick it up in verse 3. There's some other things. I, I gave you a few references, I think, in your notes. You know, the devil always has a counterfeit. And if you study Amos chapter 5 and Acts chapter 7, you find that the devil himself also has a star 
Well, isn't that interesting? Because the devil is so unoriginal and is the greatest counterfeiter of Christ there is, uh, he has a star of his own gods, and, and you can find that in Amos chapter 5 and Acts chapter 7. The reason he has a counterfeit is because the devil desires the worship that's only reserved for Jesus Christ. And, and again, those of you that are into studying the Bible, there's some references to kind of get you started. I just want you to know that those wise men had a desire, and their desire was to worship the king. Number three, let's pick it up in verse three. And we're going to see Herod's dismay and Herod's demand. Herod's dismay and Herod's demand. And so verse three says this, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now, now the, these things that, that he heard was the wise men showing up saying, where's the king of the Jews? And Herod would have been like, you're looking at him. <laughs> but, but Herod knew, no, they're talking about somebody else, a, a king that's been born. We've seen his star. This is very, very interesting. The Bible says that when Herod heard these things, he was troubled. And not only was he troubled, but all Jerusalem was troubled with him. Now, wait a second, man. If Israel was really looking for their king, this would have been the greatest news. Our king is here. They weren't looking for the king. They, they actually were content with Herod. They were actually content with their religion without Christ. Look at verse 4. And when he, had, when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of all the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And so now Herod makes the connection between the king of the Jews being Christ. Herod knew that Christ was the king of the Jews. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophets... And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people. And so Herod gathers together the religious leaders of the Jews, and he asks them, hey, where is Christ supposed to be born? He had to ask them because he didn't know the scriptures. They knew exactly the prophecy concerning Christ. And, and it was Micah chapter 5. We'll get there in just a second. But the point is, they knew. They knew the scriptures. you got to ask the question when you study the Bible, why was he troubled? And why were the Jews troubled? I mean, listen, this is what God promised to them. This is their deliverer. This is their Messiah. This is the king that will smite the nations. Why would you not want to receive him? Well, the issue for Herod and the issue for Israel, well, it's the same issue we have. The issue is always authority. The issue is, who's going to be king? Isn't that true? It's the same issue I face. It's the same issue you face. Who's going to be the, the king? Listen, I've been around for a minute in this Christian thing. You know, I got saved when I was 21 years old, 1997. You can, you can figure out, you know, how long that's been. I've been around for a minute in Christianity. And I've had the privilege, certainly, of witnessing to people since I've been saved. And I certainly like to do that and, and need to do that. I'm called to do that. We're all called to do that. And, and it, it bothers me when people just reject the gospel. And I know they don't reject me. They're rejecting Christ. But it always makes me wonder why. Why, why would you reject what Christ has done for you on the cross of Calvary? Why would you reject a free gift of salvation that was already paid for by the Son of God. Why would you reject that? 
so that you could be forgiven and reconciled completely to God. Why would you forget that? Why, why would you reject that? Well, the reason lost people reject that, I think, and this is opinion, this is not Bible, but I think that the reason lost people reject Christ the King is because they don't want to turn their life over to another authority. I've heard people tell me, well, I know I need to get saved, but if I get saved, I'm going to have to stop doing fill in the blank. Do you understand? Have you heard that? You probably said that before you got saved. You probably said it. I said it. Man, listen, I don't want anyone else being the authority. And yes, I understand the gospel. And yes, I understand who Christ is, but I just don't want him being my king. You know, lost people generally stay lost because they choose to be their own authority. Can I just tell you that religious people do the same thing? Because the Bible says in this passage that not only was Herod troubled, but the Bible says that all of Jerusalem was troubled. Now, all of Jerusalem would have been predominantly the Jews, the nation of Israel who should have been looking for their king. And then when good news comes that the king has been born, and it's actually a fulfillment of Scripture, he's in Bethlehem. We know where he is. Instead of bringing about rejoicing, it brought about trouble. Uh, you know, I think what troubles religious people, what troubles religious people is the fact that Christ is the king. Not them. Not their religion. Not their roles and their positions of authority and their structure and, and all the people that they've amassed to follow them. What bothers religious people the most is that there is another authority. And his name is Christ. All of a sudden, I'm no longer in control. I have my nice religion. I built it up. And, and man, if Christ becomes the king, then that religion is going to come crashing down. You know, listen, let me, with certain gentleness, certainly a gentle spirit here and meekness, but let me encourage you. Look, if the thought of Christ being the king over your life troubles you, may I kindly suggest that you're either lost or very religious. It's, a, it's the same thing that troubled Herod and the Jews. And listen, why would you, want, why would you not want him to be the king? Why, why would you not want him to get the wor worship and, and authority and rulership that he certainly is due in your life? He knows best. He paid for your sin. Listen, he can walk out the details of your life better than you ever can. The issue is always authority. It's always authority. And Herod struggled with that, and, and the Jews struggled with that, and the truth is we struggle with that. We struggle with that. You know, Herod was ignorant of the Scriptures. He had to demand from others what the Scriptures said. The Jews were certainly informed of the Scriptures. As a matter of fact, they were able to pull this, this verse from Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Here is the prophecy that Christ is going to be born in Bethlehem. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathath, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler, there it is, in Israel, whose going forth have been from old, from what? Who, whoever this is, he is from old, from everlasting. He's eternal. 
And he's going to come through Bethlehem. And so listen, the chief priests and the scribes, they certainly were not ignorant of the Scriptures. They were actually informed of the Scriptures. But it didn't have any impact on their life. Uh, Don't be like them. Don't be like Herod. Uh, Number one, don't be like Herod. If the thought of Christ ruling over you troubles you, that may be the very realization you you need to get saved and accept Christ. But if you're religious, listen, don't let the thought of Christ ruling over you not impact you. Even if you know the scriptures, God still wants you to submit to him. It is interesting that Christ came through Bethlehem instead of Jerusalem. By the way, God also did that with King David. David was from Bethlehem. And Christ is the son of David, Matthew chapter 1. And so it is interesting that that God just bypassed religious Jerusalem and sent his son to Bethlehem to fulfill prophecy according to to the scriptures. So, so you have Herod, who was ignorant of the scriptures. You had the Jews that were informed of the scriptures. And then you had the wise men that were impacted by the scriptures. Let us be wise men. Let the word of God have such an effect on our life that it brings us to the feet of Jesus Christ. So look at number four. It's Herod's devious plan. We got to hurry. Look at, look at verses seven to eight. Herod's devious plan. So Instead of being humble and and joining this processional to to meet Christ, the Bible says, Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, he inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you found him, bring me word again that I may also come and worship him. And so he pulls these wise men aside secretly, privily, privately, And he says, you go and search diligently, and when you find him, you bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Now listen, that may sound genuine. I don't think it was genuine. And even if it was, listen, let's just give old Herod the benefit of the doubt. Even if it was genuine, Herod missed his opportunity because those wise men, after they meet Christ, they don't go back to Herod. You know, sometimes our Christian life is full of missed opportunities. It's missed opportunities. Even if he had a genuine desire to worship Christ, which I don't think he did, he missed his opportunity because those wise men don't come back to tell him where Christ is. But I think here's the bigger issue. Herod wasn't willing to search out Christ himself. He wanted to live through the religion and the worship of these wise men. He wanted to live through the worship and, 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 and submission of, of these other men. He didn't want to do it himself. He didn't want to diligently search for the king himself. And so here's the key question. Look, for us, how diligent are we individually in searching for the king? How diligent are we individually in our search for the king? Are we like the wise men that, man, we are searching the scriptures, and now because what we know of the scriptures, we're searching his presence because we want to come worship him. Are we like that or are we like Herod? Uh, you know, hey man, you go search it out, and, and when you find it, you just let me know, and, and you know, if I got time, then I'll come, I'll come worship him. Uh, you say, well, how would we do that? You know, sometimes we do that according to the scriptures. We, we do that scripturally. We want other people to search out Christ in the scriptures for us. Man, you just study it out and let me know what the Bible says about said subject. And when you find it, hey, I'll show up and listen. 
but I surely won't do the work myself. I won't exercise the diligence. That one hit a, hit a nerve, didn't it? I know it did. It, it's for all of us. Look, I just want you to know it takes diligence to find the Lord. God rewards those that diligently seek Him. Uh, when you study that phrase, seeking or searching out diligently, uh, one of the places you'll land is in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And, and again, this is, this is an example to illustrate the point. Uh, when Paul writes the epistle of 2 Timothy, he makes mention of a man named Onesiphorus. And you thought you had trouble learning how to spell your name. <laughs> Onesiphorus. The Bible says of this man, Paul says of this man, he oft refreshed me and he was not ashamed of my chain. He knew that Paul was imprisoned for the gospel's sake. The Bible says, but when he, Onesiphorus, Onesiphorus, Sassafras, okay, when, when he was in Rome, he sought me out. How did he seek me out? Very diligently. Oh, and by the way, he found me. He found me. Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 11 and verse 6 that God, that without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You see, the wise men were diligent. I want to seek the Lord. Herod said, nah, I'm, I'm not so diligent. If you find him and when you find him, eh, just come back and tell me and, and maybe I'll, I'll come. Herod had a devious plan. It wasn't to worship. It actually was to destroy. Jeremiah 29 and verse 13 says this, and you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. I think that's the kind of diligence the Lord wants from us. Listen, we don't, we, we can't be honest with ourselves and say, we can't say that we diligently seek out the Lord if we don't spend time in his word. We, we, can't, we can't say we're really diligently seeking the Lord. And if we're not really in his word, diligently seeking him, guys, listen, we're not going to find him. We're not going to find him. And listen, going to church doesn't make you diligently seeking the Lord, but when you're here and we preach the Bible, and if you want to hear from God's word, if you diligently seek it, I think God gives it to you. You know, in the same service, in the same setting, on any Sunday morning or any Wednesday night, there's people in the room that diligently seek the Lord that showed up. Man, I need to hear from God today. I want to hear from God today. I'm prepared to hear from God today. And then there's people that are like Herod. Well, I'm here, but I'm not here. I'm not here. And I'm not really interested in what's going on. I'm just here for the lunch. And whatever. Okay, we're, we're glad you're here. We'll feed you some stuffing and some, some ham and all that <laughs> stuff. But the real reward comes from those who seek him. That's where the real reward comes do you seek the Lord or, or do you live vicariously through other Christians? Your mom and dad's faith, your grandparents' faith, maybe your children's faith. Maybe your children's faith. Maybe your children have a zeal for the Lord and want to know the Lord and worship the Lord and, and somehow vicariously, because you're their parent and you go to this church, then vicariously your faith is lived out through them. Let me encourage you. Look, you diligently seek the Lord yourself. And if you, if you do, God promises you'll find him. And that's the best, that's the best place you could be <laughs> in his very presence, which leads us to the last point. Look at, look at number five in this. We'll wrap it up right here. Look, we, we see the wise men's departure and destination. You know, they, the point's brought to you by the letter D today. The wise men's departure and destination. Pick it up in verse nine. The Bible says, when they heard these things, they heard the king, 
When they heard the king say these things, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And they, they were coming to the house. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Please remember, these wise men were seeking the king of the Jews. They were seeking the king. And so the Bible says that when they saw the star, they rejoiced. And, and listen, it, I say it all the time. I'm going to keep saying it till Jesus comes or till I die. The church ought to be the loudest, rejoicingest, most joyful place on the planet. And the reason why is because we get to come into the presence of the king. Philippians 4 and verse 4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord, and the next word is really important. It's not on the screen. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 16, great memory verse if you've never memorized any scripture. Rejoice evermore. <laughs> I'll ask you about that verse next week. <laughs> That's your homework. Listen, God is really interested in your rejoicing, and when you come with the right attitude and desire, you can't help but rejoice. These wise men were rejoicing with exceeding great joy, and you might as well start now because you're going to be rejoicing for all of eternity. And, and your flesh and the devil and whatever you let prevent you from doing that now, deal with it. So you can be in the king's presence and be excited about it and be rejoicing of it and, and be encouraged by it and be uplifted because of it. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And then it says, when they saw the young child, they fell down. They fell down. So number one, listen, Jesus is worthy of my submission. They bowed their knee. They fell on their face. Why? Because he's a babe in a manger. No, because he's the king. He's the king of all kings. He's the king of the Jews, but he's king of kings and he's Lord of lords. And because of who he is, he is worthy of my submission. Number two, the Bible says that they worshiped him. And so Jesus is worthy of my worship. He is worthy of my submission. He is worthy of my worship. And by the way, you can't truly worship until you first submitted to the king. Got to get an amen right there. Because worship, by the way, is not music, not song. It's an attitude of surrender and submission to who Christ is. Until you do that, you're not truly worshiping. Doesn't matter what you sing, how you play, what you say. It all starts with submission. Number three, the Bible says they opened their treasures. They opened their treasures. And the practical point, we'll get into these in detail next week because we're out of time, but listen, Jesus is worthy of my best. He is worthy of my best. Can I take a two-second rabbit trail? I'm going to. Isn't it interesting that these men opened their treasures? They didn't open their leftovers. They didn't open right, right on point, <laughs> right when we need to talk about the serious things in life. They opened their treasures. They didn't give God what was left over. They didn't give God things of 
immaterial value, they brought him the best. They brought him the the things that were the very best. They brought him treasures worthy of a king. And listen, how many times in our our walk with the Lord, our services in our churches, I mean, all the different things that we experience in Christianity, the question on the table is, does Christ get our best or does he get what's left over? Does he get the best of your time? Does he get the best of your attention? Does he get the best of your service? Listen, we all work jobs. Listen, I worked vocationally in physical therapy for 20 years, okay? And I went to work every day as unto the Lord, working as unto the Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock it out for the Lord's sake on this job. But that's no excuse to not knock it out and serve the Lord on Sunday and Wednesday and every other day when it's needed in, in the house of God, amen? Are we giving him our best? You need to have a great testimony at your job, but you need to be available to serve the Lord. Am I giving him my best financially? That gets into the next point, but, but listen. What was brought was, was treasure worthy for a king. Not leftover time. Not spare time and spare change. Let me put it that way. You see, the king's worth the best. He's worth the best. And so the last point, look, these wise men presented unto Christ gold and frankincense and myrrh. And if you come back next week, we'll break those down into what those really mean and who they're reserved for. But I just want you to know that Jesus is worthy of my sacrificial giving. He's worthy of my sacrificial giving. Listen, he, he is worthy of everything. I think Josh said it. He's worthy of everything we have because it's all his anyway. He's the king. But listen, that comes from an attitude of worship. You see, when we don't approach Christ as these wise men approach Christ, when we approach Christ as Herod or even the religious Jews, we don't give Christ what he deserves. We don't offer him our submission. We don't give him our worship. We certainly don't give him our best. And we don't sacrifice for him. Uh, We actually, if anything, give him what's left over which is the dregs of our life. Listen, he gave us everything. He gave us his life. He laid down his life. He shed the most precious commodity on this planet, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That was the price he paid for my sin and for yours. And listen, if you've experienced his forgiveness, friends, he is worthy. He's worthy of everything we could give him. Amen. So let's be like these wise men. Let's be encouraged by the story of these wise men. Let's come to Christ. Let's seek the king and give him everything that he's due out of our life. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you.